0: weeks I've been talking about intimacy with God and I want to continue on that today. Um, Today what I want to talk about, if we don't already know, and hopefully we do, but I want to emphasize how important this is. Um, This isn't something that we can just be like, yeah that's nice, I'll get around to that maybe someday. Jesus Christ himself exhorts us clearly in Scripture that this is this is a huge part This needs to be a huge priority in our lives. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Last week we talked about uh, keys from the life of David because David in Acts 13, um, thir- I think 22, it doesn't matter, says, David, son of Jesse, I found is a man after my own heart. That's God's assessment of David's life. And so, of course, as a result we can learn a thing or two from David. He was like the ultimate man of intimacy with God. Um, The week before that, I talked about how to hear God's voice and be led by the Holy Spirit. This week, it's sort of an extension of those, but it's essentially talking about Jesus' teaching on intimacy with God. Now, what I want to talk about is... uh, a portion of scripture from Matthew chapters 24 through 25. Don't worry, I'm not talking about all of those chapters, but I want to draw your attention to those chapters because they are really important and significant for us. Okay, so Jesus, I mean, all scripture is, of course, but these are particularly important given the times we're living in right now. Now, I don't want to get an eschatology or anything like that, but how many of you believe we're in the end times? Yeah, okay, most of us. I'm talking like... Okay, of course, even in the book of Acts, it said we're in the last times. I'm talking about the last days of the last days. Like, most people prophetically believe we are in the last days. You know, plus or minus 100 years, whatever. But we are in the last days. This portion of Scripture, especially Matthew 24, talks all about the signs of the times that we're living in you know we've all heard of the great tribulation the whole almost the whole book of revelation a lot of it talks about this this is the succinct version of the the great tribulation that Jesus gives us now the reason this is important is because he actually tells us we need to be aware of these things we need to be aware of the signs of the times. You know, he actually rebukes the Pharisees and says, You guys know how to see signs in the skies to tell the weather whether it's gonna be rainy and that sort of thing. But you you are ignorant of the signs of the times, and he rebuked them for it. The fact that he was the Messiah and he was there, and they're like, He's like, You weren't even aware of your day of visitation. And they got a royal rebuke from that. So we need to be aware of the signs of the times. So Matthew 24 talks all about. Uh, These different signs like rumors of war and earthquakes and various signs that are going to happen so that we as the church are aware of the day we're living in, okay? Now, after he talks about these signs, he gives three parables, particularly to leaders, but, but believers in general saying, this is how you need to prepare for this, Okay, this, these parables are talking about this is what you need to do so that you can end well. Today I want to focus on the second parable, but I just want to draw your attention. All of them are important. Okay, so, so Matthew twenty four twenty five, Jesus taught about the end times, so I have the references there. Then he applied his teaching in three parables to his servants. Okay, so that's Matthew twenty-four, forty-five to twenty-five, thirty, before describing his final judgment, which is Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one to forty six. The parable I wanna to emphasize today is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This is Matthew twenty five, one through thirteen. It emphasizes the need to stay connected with the Holy Spirit to cultivate intimacy with Jesus, and I'm gonna show you that scripturally. How many of you have read the? How many of you know the Wise and Foolish Versions parable, Matthew 25? Okay, most of us. How many of you don't really, if you're honest, or like, I don't really get that? Like, what is it talking about? Oh, all of you know what it's talking about? Okay. A couple of you don't know? Okay. Well, if you don't know, or if you need a refresher, I'm going to be emphasizing that today. Or maybe it's a different than what you interpret it as. But I know a lot of people... Um, You know, until I heard teaching on it, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, these wise, foolish virgins, lamps, oil, you know, what are you talking about? Um, But I'm going to show you scripturally, uh, interpret that using other scriptures for you. And the key point, I'm going to just give you off the bat, Jesus directly connected preparation for the end times to cultivating intimacy with God. That scripture has been important for, for all time. I mean since Jesus gave it till now all of the Jesus that was a teaching for the whole church no matter what time you're living in. But if you look contextually, he's actually that parable, those these three parables actually were specifically for those living in the last days. And you'll see that. He starts in the context, it's in the context of him talking in the about the last days. Then he says in that time Talking about the very last days you need to do this. Talking about Jesus returning. All three of those parables talking about Jesus returning. Okay, so with that being said, I just want to give you just a a slice. Because we don't have time to go over all of Matthew 24, I want to give you just a picture of like, okay, this is relevant to us. Okay, so just you'll see from three scriptures. Right? right, Matthew 24, 9 through 13, what he's talking about. So he says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, talking about the end times, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. I mean, that's pretty intense, isn't it? We If you were here (laughs) the first half of the year, right, we talked all about... Uh, eternity, and, you know, this sort of thing. So uh, you can listen to those messages if you want. But the point is, this is the majority. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Not some people, many. Okay, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So we got to be on guard. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now, I'm underlining those for a reason. How many of you know when Jesus says most, that's talking about majority? The love of most during these end times is going to grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who stands firm until the end will be saved. Wow. We need to stand firm till the end he says, if we're going to be saved. Because many are going to fall away from the faith in these times. So then, of course, the million-dollar question is, how do you stand firm till the end? Right? Because if this is happening, and this is a clear warning to all of us, how do we stand firm till the end? Fortunately, Jesus gives those parables to tell us, this is how you stand firm to the end. Okay? The f- i got to stop myself, because I could go into all these parables, but I won't. Another story for another day. But th- so this is his transition, then going into the parables, verse forty-two to forty-four. Therefore, keep watch. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus. Like, come on, he is like the pastor of pastors, right? Like he's like the ultimate shepherd. And you know what's interesting about Jesus is his. So if we were, to, <laughs> if we were to ask Jesus, okay, we're in the end times, great tribulation. Jesus, how do we prepare for the end times? Do we store food? Do we store guns? <laughs> right? This is his only exhortation. Keep watch. Wait, gee, are you sure you don't have more than just keep watch? Because, like, you know, this is a pretty big deal. Keep watch. That's his, that's his advice to us. That's all it is. Keep watch. Watch and pray. You'll see over and over in the context of the end times, watch, <laughs> therefore. Okay, so... Because, so therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The question then is, if this is Jesus, okay, keep watch, be ready. The, the question then is, how do we keep watch, right? How do we be ready? And fortunately, Jesus answers us in the parables, that, and, and I'm going to just emphasize one of them. This is how you keep watch, okay? So, I already said this, but Jesus' main exhortation for us to be prepared in the end times is that we watch, and I give a whole bunch of ma- uh, references so you can see. Uh, look them up if you want. We're exhorted to be on our guard, to watch, and to pray many times throughout scriptures uh, in in order to prepare for the end times, okay? Be on your guard, keep watch, and pray. And I have a whole bunch of scriptures there for you. So Jesus teaches us how to keep watch in the parable of the five wise and foolish virgins. And you'll see, we're going to go over this parable today. At the end of the parable, that's that's how he interprets the parable. Therefore, keep watch. This is how you keep watch, okay? This is one way, major way, you keep watch. So what I want to do then is, I already said this, but emphasize this, talk about this parable and go into detail in it. So Whenever I talk about this parable, because you'll see it's in purple, just so you know, okay, we're back at the parable, because I'm going to go through it a, a, a few scriptures at a time. The first um, part of it, the first verse I want to emphasize and interpret some things for us, okay? Because sometimes people talk about this parable and they just take for granted, oh, everyone knows what the bridegroom is, everyone knows what, you know, what the virgins represent, everyone would know what the lamps are. But like, you know, until someone like taught it to me, I didn't, I didn't have a clue, like you just, but I'm going to show you scriptures that show us scripturally this is what it symbolizes, okay? So this is Matthew 25, verse 1. At that time, at what time? We're talking about the very end. At that time, that's why this is so applicable to us. If you believe we're in the very last days, this was Jesus actually talking to us. This generation, at that time, you need to be doing this for sure. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay. So what I first want to say is that this parable is about 10 Christians. All of them are Christians. How do I know this? First of all, they're all waiting for the Lord to return. It says they're all waiting for the bridegroom, meaning they're all Christians. They're all believers. Okay. Secondly, they're virgins. That speaks of the righteousness that Christ gives us when we get born again by his spirit. We all become righteous through the righteousness of Jesus. Right? And here's just one scripture. I had to, like, what, you know, hold my horses not to give you a million scriptures on this, but here's one I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So if you don't if you're new at this or you don't know, we're referred to as virgins, we're referred to as the bride of Christ over throughout scripture, and Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom, because there's gonna be a wedding, a wedding feast of the Lamb. And here's just a couple, just a couple. This is another one I have to. Actually, this is the one I had to help myself out, not putting too much. Jesus often throughout the scriptures referred to the bridegroom. Okay, so here's just an example. Matthew 9, 14, 15. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples don't fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? Talking about himself. Another one from John 3, 29 to 30. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. This is John the Baptist talking. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Okay, so I'm just showing you, okay, what's the bridegroom? Who are the virgins? There you have it. Now, one thing I want to emphasize, because this isn't as clear, like some of you might be like, yeah, I already knew that, is what are the lamps? scripturally speaking, what do the lamps represent that the virgins were carrying, okay? And I'm going to show you a bunch of scriptures that the lamps represented a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's when you see lamps or lampstands in scripture, it's talking about uh, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, whether it's individually or corporately, okay? So here we go on that one. Revelation 4.5. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Holy, holy, holy. (laughs) Anyway, every time I read that scripture, I think of that song now. And there were seven lamps of fire. Talking about lamps, right? Burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay. Okay. I remember when I first, I remember I was watching Christian TV once when I had no idea what the seven spirits of God were. And I saw this guy, I have this book on the seven spirits of God. I'm like, is this guy in heresy? Like, what are you talking about the seven spirits of God? Like, I thought there's one spirit, you know? So, and then I, I came to realize it's in the scriptures. I'm like, oh, okay. What the heck are the seven spirits of God then, you know? Now, you might, th- this is a whole nother thing. But you notice I have a menorah there. How many of you have ever seen what a menorah is? A lot of, that's that was in the temple, or yeah, Moses, the tabernacle of Moses, God instructed them to make a menorah that had seven uh, lamps. People believe that represented the Holy Spirit but that's another story for another day. I'm going to show you the scripture that most believe is the scripture that this is referring to in Isaiah 11, verse 2, talking about the seven spirits of God or other translations say the sevenfold spirit of God. What is the sevenfold spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, different facets of his ministry, okay? So here we go. Isaiah 11one 1 to 2, "'A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. "'From his roots a branch will bear fruit.'" The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. So if we're counting this, you'll see there's seven. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You see that? So you look at the menorah, the middle one is the spirit of the Lord, and then there's the six that come out from it. So it's kind of a neat thing. That's another story for another day. But just so you know, the whole point is the lamp represents the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is the fire in the lamps. Now we're talking about the individuals. Okay, we're talking about the virgins now, because the virgins each had a lamp. So what does that represent? Now, if you look at Proverbs 20, verse 27, it tells us the human spirit is what? The lamp of the Lord, the human spirit that sheds light on one's innermost being. Okay, if you look at the literal tran- translation, it's that should say the rooms of the belly, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But if you're here a couple of weeks ago, we actually talked about that the Holy Spirit resides in our bellies, <laughs> for lack of a better word. That's how, right, when we are talking about how do you be led by the Spirit, one way is what do you, what's He telling you in your heart? Is there a check in your spirit or is He giving you peace in your spirit? And often it's right here, the heart. Now, that's the lamp of the Lord. Look at John seven thirty-seven to 39. I wanted, I'm showing you this to show you the Holy Spirit is resident in our spirit, which is the lamp of the Lord, is the whole point, okay? So on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, And that literally says, out of his belly. The King James Version says that, right? Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. But because we don't talk like that in English now, we say innermost being. But the literal translation, just like in Proverbs, is the belly, because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells if you're born again. The lamp of the Lord is the whole point, okay? Everyone on board here? Cool. Now, I'm just showing you the Greek word for belly, because some of you might be like, what are you talking about the belly? Um, The word from within is the word coelius? I don't know how you pronounce that. But this is what it means. Belly, abdomen, heart, a general term covering any organ in the abdomen, stomach, womb, met, the inner man. So when we're talking about being led by the Spirit a few weeks ago, and I was talking about, you know, a gut feeling, like... You know, uh, somebody, a lot of you weren't here. So, like, say, how many of you, if you, if sometimes you've entered, uh, say, a part, you went to a social gathering and you had no rational explanation, but something inside you're like, there's just something not right. You don't know what, but you just like, man, I should not be here right now. How many can relate? Or if you met someone you don't know and you don't know anything about them, but you're just like, there's something off about this person. I don't know why, but it's just inside, you know what I'm talking about? Often that's the Holy Spirit witnessing, it says, with your spirit. So that's what it's talking about because he's resident in your spirit, in your inner being. To um, so Galatians, <laughs> I'm giving you all the scriptures here. Here's just a couple. Galatians 4, 6, talking about this is where the Holy Spirit dwells, the lamp of the Lord, our, our hearts. So because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Another scripture uh, says the same thing in a different way. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Now I'm going into all this detail again to, 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 to give you a scriptural foundation for the symbolism in this parable because this parable is so important. And the problem is if you don't give a scriptural foundation for it, you can talk about, okay, I think that the lamp represents this and the oil pres- represents that, and then you get skeptical people. They're like, I don't think that's what it means. But if you show scripturally, no, symbolically, scripturally, this is what he's talking about, right, then you can make a better case, and that's why I'm doing this for you, especially if you're, if you're new at this. Revelation 120. Now, the interesting thing is lamp stands. Specifically, not lamps, but lampstands, sometimes lamps, but I don't want to get confusing. Lampstands actually represent scripturally churches or ministries. I'm just going to give you one scripture. I was going to give you a bunch, but one scripture showing this, okay? So this is one portion of scripture. Revelation 120, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels and the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The angels, is, yeah, I said that wrong. But you see what I'm saying. The, the whole point is the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So churches in scripture represent lampstands. I'm pausing because I was going to say another scripture. I just, I got to stay on track. So 1 Corinthians three sixteen to 17. This is important for all of us. Oh my goodness, I can't wait. Someday I'm going to talk all about this. But I wanted to, I, for now, I'll just give you this. So, why we're talking about lamps and lamp stands represent dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. The first one we talked about individually is our hearts or our spirits is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. The second is the lamp stands. Okay, this scripture in 1 Corinthians 3 16 to 17 is saying this in a different way to show you symbolically that that's what he's talking about. So don't you know that you yourselves, talking about the corporate church, are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. He's contrasting the church in Corinth with the pagan idolatry temples that is happening, and he's saying, you're God's temple. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in your midst. You're the new covenant together as a people, representation of the old covenant, which was a blueprint where God dwelt in a temple that no one could see but the high priest. But now, because Jesus uh, made it possible that you would have that direct connection with the Holy Spirit living in your heart, and in your midst... You together are God's temple in the new covenant as a church. So in verse 70, he says, if, this is like one of the most intense scriptures in the New Testament, arguably. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. If anyone, Think about how many church splits. I don't even want to raise a hand. Pray for mercy if you were a catalyst to <laughs> that. Because this is what I'm talking about. This is intense. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You together. The lampstand, the dwelling place of the Lord. You see that? You together. Okay. Now, back to Revelation. Because you're going to see. I want to show you that this, the lampstand represents the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But this scripture just happens to be super relevant to what we're talking about today. So, this is from Revelation 2 1 to 3. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, which we know are what? The seven churches. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Now look at this exhortation. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken The love you had at first. Now, other translations I kind of like better, you've forsaken your first love, talking about the love you had with Jesus at first. Your first love. You know, when you're first born again and you right, you're just, and then life happens sometimes and you get hurt and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then 10 years later, this is Jesus like, look, you lost your first love with me. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Isn't that interesting? When you're first born again and you're so in love and so on fire, do those things. That's how you repent. If you don't repent, I will come to you and look. Remove your lampstand from its place. If you don't get back, that's a stern warning. If you don't get back to your intimacy, your first love, we're talking about intimacy have got With your first love, then I'm going to remove your church. Interesting. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I have also, also hate. Then I wanted to give the promise. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who's victorious, who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All that to say, we now know, okay, virgins, Christians, bridegroom, Jesus, lamps, dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, talking about individual lamps, talking about their hearts, talking about their spirits, right, in this context. Does that all make sense? Cool. Now we're going to move on. So I'll start in verse 1. This is again back to Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. The reason I love this is because Jesus is defining what he considers foolishness and wisdom. Right here. Okay? This is what you need to do to be considered wise, and this is what you do if you want to be a fool in the end times which we're all living in. Verse 3. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. That's what foolishness is. Interesting. Verse 4, the wise ones, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. Notice the reversal here. I just want to point this out now. If you look at the foolish, notice the lamps are mentioned first, oil second. They took their lamps, no oil. Look at the wise. Their priority was the oil. Because notice that, the oil's mentioned first. The wise ones ever took oil in their jars along with their lamps. The lamps were secondary. The oil was the main thing. That was their priority. The bridegroom, talking about Jesus, is a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, most of the time in Scripture, sleep represents something negative. In this case, it doesn't because even the wise fell asleep. It's just the point is Jesus is taking a long time. That represents a period of time. It also represents the natural mundane things of life. Like we all sleep. We're all going through the natural processes. In the midst of that, we still need to have oil. Okay, so the oil, what's the oil? Because honestly, if you think about it, the oil is the main thing in this parable that that distinguishes people who are wise from fools. So, okay, well, what's the oil then? Because that is the most important thing. That's the one thing, the whole point of this parable. Oil, no oil. What's the oil? The Holy Spirit. Now, this is another one of those things that, in my opinion, people just say, oh, the oil represents the Holy Spirit, no scriptures. And then if you're new at this, you're like, okay, what are you talking about? What do you mean the oil represents the Holy Spirit? So I'm going to just show you some scriptures, just some, because there's a lot, and I don't want it to get... But just showing you, okay, this is what it's talking about. is the Holy Spirit, because this is the most important thing of the parable. Now, this is a refresher for some of us, but um, these are good scriptures talking about this. 1 Samuel 16, 1, and then 12 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil... And be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now fast forward to verse 12. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. Talking about David. Verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. So oil in the natural anointing represented the Holy Spirit, because as soon as he anointed, the Holy Spirit came on him. It was the same thing when he anointed Saul in 1 Samuel 10, I believe, okay? So there's all throughout Scripture's connection, the Holy Spirit oil, Holy Spirit oil. When we talk about anointing people with the Holy Spirit, talking about oil, like you'll see, I'm just going to show you some scriptures and Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, this became now, symbolically, um, the picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about this before, but what does anointing mean? So, Psalm chapter 2, I I believe, is the first time, we actually talked about that earlier, interesting enough, the first time the Bible talks about the Messiah as the anointed one. Okay? Okay. Why am I saying this? The word Messiah means anointed one. That's what it literally means. In the New Testament, the Greek word is Christ. Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. It means anointed one. The question is anointed with what? Oil? No. Anointed with the Holy Spirit. That is what the Christ was going to be known for. Okay? And these messianic scriptures are showing that. So anointing became synonymous with Holy Spirit anointing on top of you and empowering you. So here's just, this is a messianic, one of them, scripture. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the broken hearts, to proclaim freedom of the captives, release from darkness the prisoners, yon and on and on, all these awesome things Jesus is going to do. The point is the Holy Spirit, and he anointed me the Holy Spirit to do these things. And if you're like, are you sure? Yeah. Look at this, Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and power. Not oil. That's a symbol, a symbol of what the Holy Spirit. So he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So the key point is being anointed with the Holy Spirit is what made Jesus the Messiah. You see the connection with oil, how the, how the Holy Spirit is represented as oil, because when we talk about anointing in Scripture, we're talking about anointing of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, everyone? Cool. All right. Now, I made this point before. I want to make it again because it's so important. Not only was the Holy Spirit the one defining characteristic of Jesus' life, because he was the Messiah, and ministry, and before I gave a whole bunch of verses on this, He's also the one defining characteristic of what? True Christians. If you think about what our name means, the whole religion, Christ. Anointed ones. Anointed with what? Not oil. The Holy Spirit. Little anointed ones. (laughs) Is what we are as Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit. That's the one defining characteristic of whether you're saved or not. That's it, scripturally. I could show you that in the scripture. The only thing... That makes us different from non-believers is the, is the Holy Spirit. That's it. And here, here, Romans eight nine, just one verse. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. That's pretty straightforward, right? So you need to have the Holy. If you're, you need to have the Holy Spirit. First Colossians 1:29. We read this early. Now it is God who makes us both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, right? Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the oil. That Jesus is talking about in the parable. Now, if you think about it, that makes sense because what are the lamps? Dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, their hearts. So the oil, that makes sense. The oil that keeps the fire going is the Holy Spirit. And here's just another scripture: 1 John 2:20 20 and 27. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing, talking to all believers now, not just some. You, the anointing received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, not like, wouldn't that be weird if oil was teaching us? Yeah, it's not oil. He's talking, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that his anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, talking about the anointing, remain in him, remain in the Holy Spirit, remain in him. And John 15, if, if I had more time to talk all about it, Abide in me. That's the whole exhortation there. Abide in me. Abide in the vine. Jesus Christ. Remain in him. Okay. In sum, (laughs) the oil speaks of the presence of the Spirit in our hearts and lives. In this parable, the oil. Acquiring oil, which we're about to talk about, is actively connecting with God through fellowshipping with his Holy Spirit. That's how we keep oil in our lamps. 2 Corinthians 13:14 May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the key characteristic of his ministry, isn't it? Communion with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's why talking about intimacy with God, he's the key. Okay? He's God's manifest present with us here on earth. So we need to develop that fellowship with him. And that's why I've been spending so much time. I talked about David. That was one key characteristic of his life, fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Talked about being led by the Spirit two weeks ago, how to hear God's voice and be led by the Spirit. So crucial as Christians. That's why, right? That's her whole point. We're Christians. We're anointed. Well, we need to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, develop that relationship. So the key point is it's foolish to neglect our intimacy with God and it's wise to cultivate it. Okay, that's the point. The foolish, again, took their lamps, took no oil. They pursued other things as their first priority in life, like their ministries. Remember, lampstands represent ministries. Put that first, relationship with the Holy Spirit second, instead of acquiring oil in the relationship with Jesus. Because, you know, a lot of people get caught up with the good, the good quote-unquote good things. It's like, I'm doing ministry, you know, I don't have time. That's, like, right, that's the number one excuse. I don't have time. I'm too busy doing this stuff. I'm loving on people, meeting with people, praying for people. Now, that's presumptuous because it is, that's like a car without gas. It's like, I don't have time to fill up my gas tank in my car, so I'm just going to drive around and then push my car when I run out of gas, Like, it's foolishness, right? That's what he says, foolish. But that's what a lot of people do because they're presumptuous and they don't think they have to have oil in their lamps. They don't think, oh, I don't have to spend time with God. I'm doing God's stuff. That's not going to cut it in the end times. Not going to cut it in the end times. Because what? The love of most is going to grow cold. Many are going to fall away from the faith. How do you prevent that from happening? This is Jesus' solution, right? Okay. The wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps, they pursued acquiring oil as their first priority. And I mentioned earlier how the oil was mentioned first in the parable, because that was their priority. All right, now back to the parable. This is verse 6 through 9. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. I'm talking about the return of Jesus. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, that, now they realize, Oh, my goodness. Oh, I should have been spending all that time with the Lord and getting oil. Give us some of yours. But the why is that you, this is the whole point. You cannot give someone else your relationship that you have with God. You can't lay hands on someone and be like, okay, now you have the relationship I have with God because I laid hands on you. It's time in this secret place by yourself with the Lord that gets you oil. You can't get someone else's oil that they've acquired years of relationship with the Lord in the secret place. You can't transfer that. It only comes from your personal secret place time with the Lord. Does that make sense? And that's what they're saying. No, you got to go buy your own oil. Okay, verse 9. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us, and instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. It's the cost, costly. You have to buy some for yourselves. We can't give it to you. So when Jesus returns... Okay, in this parable, the foolish virgins recognize their mistake in neglecting oil. At that point, too late. Too late. The wise exhort the foolish to buy oil. And what does this mean? To engage in the God-ordained process of acquiring intimacy with God. Okay, we're not talking about that you earn this. You don't earn it. No way. But you invest yourselves in a costly way to receive it And the number one thing I'm going to talk about is later is our time. It's our time. Because we know, I mean, most of us as Christians know what we have to do (laughs) in order to develop a relationship with God. It's not a mystery. It's clear cut in scripture. Pray, right? Like, we know all these things. Spend time with God, soak, worship, all these things. Now, boil down to our time. Are we taking time? to do these things. That's the cost of the oil, ultimately. Okay? But we have to pay this price. We have to pay this price to buy, quote-unquote, oil for ourselves. Now, that's the part I want to emphasize and go to another scripture that's super relevant to us, and this similar exhortation is given to the church of Laodicea. And I want you to see it in this way now. We talk, we're talking about buying oil. Okay? This is so relevant to us. I, I, don't, I honestly, the deception that's most prevalent, I would probably be as bold to say, in the Western church is lukewarmness. I would say we are in such a lukewarm culture in the West, talking about the West now, generally, of course not everyone, generally, and that is the deception we have to overcome. You look at the seven churches of Revelation, each one had its own deception overcome, like, really, I don't want to proclaim this, but right, this is the deception most of us have to overcome, is lukewarmness in the West. Okay, that's why it's so relevant to us. So to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write this. This is Jesus talking. These are the words of the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Isn't it interesting? Jesus would wish that you were, he would rather you be cold than lukewarm. He would rather you be unsaved than lukewarm. Because then at least you have potential, (laughs) right, to be saved and to get hot. But lukewarm you can't do anything with because it's a deception. And I'm going to show you this. It's a deception because you think you're doing good with the Lord. You think. You're like, I'm doing good. You'll you'll see. I'm about to read it. It's a deception. You think you're doing good. He's like, no, you're actually doing horrible. Lukewarmness is a huge deception. Okay, so Verse 16, so because you're lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, look at this, this is the deception. I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. Pride, self-sufficiency, right? I don't need a thing because I'm doing good. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now look at his exhortation. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. How do you buy gold? Talking about buying oil. It's the same thing. We'll see that in a minute, okay? Buy gold uh, refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so you can see. Look at this. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. Thank you, Jesus. If the Lord's convicting you right now, it's because he loves you so much. right? He, does, he loves you too much to leave you in your lukewarm state. right? It's awesome. It's, it's really awesome. So be earnest and repent. You have to repent. That's the key. You have to turn that around and get hot. I love this. Verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you said knock, right? Isn't that interesting? I'm knocking if you hear my voice, not the knock, not if you hear the knock. If you hear my voice, that's why intimacy with God is so important. That's why learning how to hear God's voice is so important. Because he's saying, you only have potential to let me in if you hear my voice, okay? So if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, we actually have to open the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. Why is this significant? Talking about intimacy with God. Eating with somebody represented and still does intimacy. They only fellowshiped and ate with people who were considered close friends relationally. Especially in those times in antiquity. So to him, for him to say... I will eat supper with you. I'll eat with you. He's saying, I will, if you let me in, you hear my voice, you make the changes by repenting, letting me in, I will actually provide that intimacy with you, and I will sup with you. That's a promise. I will have supper with you. I will eat with you, and we will have this intimate relationship. See how that was their deception? And that's the solution. Repenting, letting them in. Now, that's a good question for us. Is Jesus knocking on the door to us personally? And if you're feeling that, yeah. he's here's the solution. If you hear my voice, if the Holy Spirit's convicting any of us right now, um, all you gotta do is repent. Let him in and he will give you that intimacy. He will. Promises. So, I love this. Promise. Out of all the seven churches... Arguably, this is the most extravagant and amazing promise to, out of all of them, to the lukewarm church. Why is this awesome? Because if, if this is the deception we have to overcome, this is the promise to those who overcome, lukewarmness. To the one who's victorious or who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. Just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, hypothetically, let's say there's three billion people who are saved when Jesus returns from all time. There aren't going to be three billion thrones, our seats beside his throne. This isn't for everyone. This is for those who overcome this specific deception of lukewarmness. And I remember a story. If I'm Rick Joyner was praying one day, and he was, he was lamenting, Lord, can anyone great come out of this lukewarm church in the West? Can it, can, like, can, are you able to raise anyone up? Because this is like so prevalent. And you know what the Lord told him? He said, on the contrary, the most amazing people who are going to do the most amazing, greatest exploits in the end times are going to come from the lukewarm church because it's such a great deception. It's so hard to overcome. But to those who overcome, they're going to sit with me on my throne. So, this is something we have to overcome if we're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. All right. Last few verses. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. Too late. The virgins were already with him, or went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Too late. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I did not know you. Remember, these are all Christians. These are people waiting for Jesus to return. He says, I did, what does he mean? He doesn't literally mean I didn't know you. He knows all of us. He's saying, I did not know you at this level of intimacy that you would come in to the wedding banquet. I didn't know you in that way. The Greek word here is actually different from the word gnosis, but it's a whole other. So the whole point is, I didn't know you at this level of intimacy. Okay? Now, to understand this, the way the, the, back then they did weddings, especially if you're wealthy, weddings actually lasted seven days. It wasn't one day, seven days, and each day, consecutive day, it started off with the most intimate people relationally to the bride and groom's family would be invited. So it was a small meal the first day. And each consecutive day, it got more and more people. So the last day, it's like even acquaintances or whatever would come to the, right? So when Jesus first comes, he's saying, I didn't know you in that way. And if you want to be invited to the banquet, you need to have had that level of intimacy with me in order to be invited. Now look at this. Verse 13, therefore, keep watch. Wait a minute, therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? <laughs> right here, because you don't know the day or the hour, how do we keep watch? Oil. 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 Oil, 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 oil. Intimacy with the Lord is how we keep watch. So when Jesus all over the Matthew 24 and other scriptures of the end times, keep watch, what do you mean Jesus? Here you go. Keep watch. This is one of the major ways we have to keep watch so that we stand firm to the end so that our hearts don't go cold. Our love doesn't go cold, like the most. Okay? All right. Now, I want to just say this. Jesus said, I don't know you. He was describing their lack of intimacy with them. I don't think he's talking about that they lost their salvation. I could be wrong. The reason I don't think that, I, th- I'm, I'm, I could be convinced otherwise, because I used to think that's what it meant, is because in the other parables where he's talking about losing salvation, he calls them wicked, cursed, um, I never knew you. He doesn't say that to me. He just said, I don't know you in this level of intimacy, Okay. So I think, (laughs) uh, that's another story for another day. Only those who were ready by being close to the bridegroom went to the celebration, right? That's what it's saying. The ones who had oil. Jesus' advice is to watch or to open our heart to develop intimacy with him through his Holy Spirit while we can. I'm going to fast forward here. You might be like, what are you talking about the wedding banquet? The wedding banquet is one of the most... Significant events that the scripture talks about that's gonna usher in the new age. When I say the new age, I'm talking about the age to come. Did you know the word you know the new age movement? Did you know they ripped us off? That's actually our word. The new age is our word. They actually got that from the Bible. That's another story for another day. Revelation 19:7 and 9. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. How do we make ourselves ready? This is so related to the parable we just read, right? Okay. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Okay, question. How do you get invited to the supper, wedding supper of the Lamb? According to the parable we just read. Intimacy. Right? That's the whole point of the parable. The wise developed intimacy with the Lord, had oil in their lamps. They were invited. The ones who did not, the foolish, were not invited, were they? So it's pretty weighty. I, that's why I'm saying this is important. Remember the name of this message: the importance, the importance of developing intimacy with the Lord. This is not something we should. Okay, I'll get to that someday. No, this is like number one priority. Put it in your schedule regularly. Stuff. Not like, oh, okay, yeah, I heard that message one time. I'll get to it someday. I'm preaching myself too, by the way. I'm not like we're all in this, right? <laughs> okay. So what should we do in light of all this? That's a good question. So Jesus exhorts us to be faithful during the time of his delay. Okay, that's the point. So how do we be faithful? There's a lot of ways we be faithful. One of them is this, keep oil in our lamps. That's how we stay faithful till the end. So the key point is it's foolish to neglect our intimacy with God. It's wise to cultivate it while we still can, because at some point, too late, the door shut. So in other words, the whole point, we must keep our lamps filled with the oil of the Spirit. Now you might ask, okay, well, how do we do that? Good question. There's not a formula. But I want to I just say, last week we talked about we gave some keys from the life of David. Because like I said earlier, he was, and still is, one of the, I would say top at least three in the scripture examples of an amazing man after God's own heart. Because God calls him that. So in other words, his life is an example of how we develop intimacy with the Lord. Extravagant worshiper. You know, we talked about this last week. So how do you keep your So Lessons from the life of David. Intimacy with God is developed through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? It looks like your secret place with the Lord. Okay, we all have unique ways of relating to the Lord. I mean, we could talk about that more, but inquire of him when making decisions. Spend time with him. Ask him to speak to you. Be led by the Spirit. Talked about that. Make it your life aim to be an extravagant worshiper. Now, I talked about this last week. It warrants repetition because this is so important. We're talking about our lamps filled with oil. How do you keep your lamps filled with oil? Major key right here. Major. Okay? Now, I want to show you, I want to point out the parallels as well to the parable we just read. So, this is Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Remember, talk about the wise and the foolish. And he's, he's going to say the same thing in a different way. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, okay? But understand what the Lord's will is. Oh, what is the Lord's will? He answers us in the next verse, okay? This is, this is wisdom and folly. Understand what the Lord's will is and do it, okay? So verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead What? Be filled with the Spirit. What was the parable about? Having your lamps filled with oil. The Spirit. Same thing. That's what makes you wise here. That's the Lord's will. Now, how do you be filled with the Spirit? There's a lot of ways. He actually tells us this is one way you be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Worship. I mean... How many of you felt the Lord's presence today in worship? How, are, are, how many of you, if it, today was an off day, or typically do, or often you feel the Spirit during worship? Why? This is how you be filled with the Spirit. This is what he's saying. Be filled with the Spirit by, right? That word's by not there, but speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's exhortation like I already said is similar to the parable. It's wisdom to what? Be filled with the spirit. It's foolish not to, is it, right? And it's an imperative that we be filled continually. This is where people get off. People think, I mean, not everyone, some people think that being filled with the spirit is a one-time event. That's that's not true. Scripturally, I'm not talking about uh, certain denominations believe this and the other. I'm talking scripturally, not true. That is not true. That's a deception, in fact. So it's not enough to be like, I was filled with the Spirit once like 50 years ago, and that's it. I've been there, done that. I'm good. No. Continual. Remember, we talked about Acts chapter 2 a few weeks ago. When the, when the, the birth of the church is when the Spirit came, of course, because we're Christians, and that was the birth of the church. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. And then we went to Acts chapter 4, and they're praying to God, God fill us with boldness. And then it said they were filled with the Spirit, and the place shook. What's the point? The same people, the apostles who were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, it says, are filled with the Spirit again in Acts 4. Same people. Implication. It's not a one-time thing. And this this verse and other verses, this isn't the only one. There's a verse in Galatians three five. It's present tense, meaning it's a continual thing. In Galatians five, it talks about a, the way you can interpret it from the Greek is a fresh supply of the Spirit, meaning it's ongoing. It's like a fresh supply. It, the same word is in First Philippians one nine, I believe. Doesn't no wait, not nine. Doesn't matter. The point is, this is throughout the scripture. I should look this up before I say things. But in the one we just read, verse 18 where it says, be filled with the Spirit, that verb in Greek is a present imperative, which we could translate be filled and continually be filled and continually be filled. It's an ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. Okay? So I just have here... How we could interpret this in different ways, just to give you the idea. It means be filled with the Spirit as a pattern of life. Okay? Be continually filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. If you were filled with the Spirit at one time in the past, you need refilling with the Spirit again today. Notice he said, don't be drunk on wine. He makes a comparison because, as we know, and we saw earlier, sometimes it looks like you're drunk on wine when you're filled with the Spirit. But not only that, he's using it as an analogy. If you were drunk yesterday on wine, hypothetically, you would need to be drunk again today on wine. And you would need to be drunk again tomorrow on wine. It's the same with the Spirit, right? You need to be filled today, and, if, and then you need to be filled again tomorrow, and you need to be going to, same thing, okay? Be drunk on, on the Holy Spirit, not wine. Okay, hope I made that point clear. The point, and also, okay, well, how? That's one way. Worship. Just worship the Lord in your own time. You'll see. Soaking. Just put on music and sit there, and you'll start feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. He will. Now, those are some practical keys, but I said this earlier, and I want to say it again. Time. (laughs) That's it. It's so simple. It boils down to time. What are your priorities? Are you taking the time to develop that relationship? That's how you buy oil. Okay. Now I don't have time, <laughs> ironically, but uh, Carol Arnett had an amazing, visionary experience or encounter with this. I'll just give you the punchline. She was given pearls and yada yada yada. Long story short, the Lord spoke to her and said, "You know what? The, you know that parable, of the pearl of great price." He said, "The pearl of great price is your time. You have to you have to sell everything and buy it." Your time. Time is a precious commodity, right? If you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, and I mean, when we talk about eternity, hopefully you got the weightiness of this, that uh, this life is like a vapor. It's like here today, tomorrow gone. But how we live this life, (laughs) right? This temporary, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's like zero time of eternity, is going to determine how we live for eternity forever. It's, so... Because it's so precious, this is probably and everyone has it. We're not right, like it's not like this is like talking about okay, if you're only rich people can do this. No, we all have time. We all do. We're all equal in this. How are you spending it? Because how you're spending your time really shows where your priorities are, doesn't it? Right? If you if you can okay, if you just looked at a schedule and and, and it was accurate how much time we spend on like well, a lot of us maybe on Facebook or whatever, watching TV not to put guilt on anyone, that's fine. The point is, is there any Jesus time in that schedule? Right? And what is it relative to the other times you're spending on things? So, we need to spend time buying oil, and that's how we buy oil, through prayer, soaking, worshipping, fill in the blank. I mean, hopefully we, and maybe not all of us know, but devotion time, how do you spend with the Lord? Praying, soaking, all these things, buying oil. God wants us to value being in his presence more than the cares of this life. Now, how many of you heard of Bob Jones? A lot of us. If you don't or haven't, really, really, really famous prophet. He died a couple of years ago. The point is, I love this story. There was a guy in like the bush of Africa. Like he had no, um, like a prophet, like, a, you know, honestly didn't have any uh, connection to the Western media or anything. The Lord speaks to him, and he says, I want you to fly to America. I think Bob was in South Carolina at the time. It doesn't matter. And meet Bob Jones. He's my best friend. So one day, Bob, <laughs> this guy shows up at Bob Jones' door, because I think the Lord showed him where he lives and everything, just to meet this guy, Bob Jones. You know what the Lord said, why he was his best friend? Because he spends time with me. That's it. Time. And you know this parable of Matthew 25? Interestingly enough, when the revival started in 1994, within a couple weeks, Carol Arnett had, had this dramatic encounter. Okay, Mark DuPont prayed for her on the stage because her and John were going to Hungary. This is like within a few weeks of the revival. And she had this encounter. I wasn't there, but you know, apparently she, it was dramatic. She's on the stage, her legs running, everything. It like looked crazy. You know, and and John was sitting there, and he's like, I know Carol enough to know she's not making this up. And you could tell people were just like, why is she letting her do this? She's making a fool of herself. But he's like, no, let it, let it happen. Long story short, because she had a whole bunch, she actually had a technicolor vision with Jesus, and a whole bunch of things happened. The point, the, the, the she was in the wedding banquet of the Lamb and all this stuff, Okay. The point, though, because I want to get to the punchline, is he said this revival, talking about like we're catching the fire, this revival, this movement, the whole point is I'm pouring out my spirit so people come and get oil. Be a wise virgin and get oil. He said that's the point of this revival. And you know what John said? The Lord told them years later, if he would have stopped that, the Lord told them that revival only last like three weeks. So thank God he let it happen. Because that was the blueprint of the revival. Talking about intimacy with God, right? We're talking about the values of Catch the Fire. Why is this so important? Buy oil. It's important for all Christians, right? It's important for all of us. Now, I'm going to end on this because this is the best. (laughs) Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village, talking about Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, now get this, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Intimacy. But Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. She was making sandwiches. She's too busy setting the table. And she got mad. She got offended. What's my sister? She has the nerve to be sitting at Jesus' feet while I'm here doing the stuff. Okay? Talking about priorities here, right? So she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister... Has left me to serve alone? Don't you care? Right? You can just anyway. We could probably relate to Martha. I don't be hard on her, right? Don't you care? I'm doing all this stuff. I'm setting the table making the sandwiches. Therefore, tell her to help me. (laughs) Jesus, come on. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, are you you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing, one thing, one thing is needed. Not these sandwiches I didn't order. One thing. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. She was a wise virgin. I, right? Talking about the parable. She didn't put set in the table before sitting with the Lord. Right? She, Mary, put the Lord first place. Martha second. And Jesus, it wasn't a huge rebuke. It wasn't like you brood of vipers, like with some people. He said, look, this is the only thing that's required. This is the only thing that's needed. Psalm 27.4, David says, this one thing I ask. This only I seek, that I would dwell in your presence, O Lord, all the days of my life. One thing. This one thing. How many of you have heard of one thing? IHOP. That's <laughs> where they get it. This and anyway. doesn't matter. One thing. That's Jesus' exhortation to all of us. This is all that's needed. All this stuff you're distracted with, busy with. No, this is the good part. She's chosen rightly. And you should do the same if you don't want to be worried about all this stuff you got to do. And I love that picture. For those of you who have been to our house, know that we have this in our mantle, this picture here. Don't you love it? You see Mary there at his feet and Martha doing stuff in the background. Remember Bill Johnson saying, I heard this years ago. It's one of those quotes I always remembered. Jesus, you just don't get points for making Jesus a sandwich he didn't order. Amen. So on that note, I have (laughs) scriptures. Now, if you if you haven't been here, I've been handing out scriptures relevant to my messages the last month or so. have scriptures on healing, scriptures on uh, uh, spiritual warfare, scriptures on hearing God's voice. Here's some scriptures on waiting on the Lord. And I want to hand these out. Can I have ushers help me here? I want to hand these out to show you how important this is and the amazing promises that come with waiting on the Lord. Soaking, worshiping, praying. Thank you so much. Perfect. Here, thank you. All right. And I just want to pray for us, if that's okay. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We thank you so much that it's your will that we do this one thing, that all these things in life that even are good things, like ministry, setting the table, (laughs) the stuff we got to do, but in the midst of sleeping, in the mundaneness of life may we always have our lamps full of oil lord i just ask that we would be wise virgins that each and every one of us would make it a priority above all else to buy oil and to keep our lamps burning bright father i just ask for grace to come and to you know if if even if people are feeling convicted That as you say, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. That you would come in and dine with each and every one of us. That we would meet you face to face and be considered the wise who develop that intimacy with you through your Holy Spirit. That each and every one of us wouldn't face you one day and regret like the foolish virgins. Oh, I needed to do the oil thing before it's too late. Lord, may every single one of us be counted as wise in your eyes. Give us the grace to be like Mary and to sit on your at your feet and that we would keep that one thing, the priority above all else in our lives. Father, may this be a starting point, a refreshing point. A reset button. If we've neglected you, that there's no condemnation, but that you're giving us an opportunity to go deeper into the matters of your heart. And Lord, I just bless each and every one in this place that there's no condemnation in Christ, but that you you correct those you love so that we can turn around and be like Mary if we need to be. And I just bless the Marthas. I bless, as you, you say, Lord, that you... Consider our works and that they're not a bad thing, but even so, that you say this is the main thing. And may you bless those who have a tendency to be Martha's. Remember that and to always keep you in intimacy with you as the main priority in the midst of busyness. So, Lord, I just bless everyone here. I thank you for them. And I just pronounce times of refreshing. May times of refreshing come upon each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, Amen.